0: I'm Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: Twenty years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense
0: of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Anyway, hi. Hi,
1: Mama. How, how was
0: your uh, Disney thing? was good it was really short it was like by the time i found the place the finding the place parking getting a parking pass and (laughs) was literally twice as long as the audition um so it was fine it was fun i was i've never been to warner brother disney warner brothers or disney plus or wherever it was crazy and uh everyone's got masks they take your temperature And they do a pulse ox, which I'm like, okay. Wait, what what does that have to do with your... um... It's like, it's like, like, um, if your breathing is labored, they can tell with that thing on your finger. So I think that's what they're doing, but they don't, the kids doing it are like 14 years old. I'm like, this is, yeah. So that's an example of something like, I kind
1: of thought that auditions were going to pretty much transition to being all remote.
0: They are. Most of them are. This one is not because this show is in front of a live studio audience anyway, and I guess they're trying to maintain. It's I don't know why they're doing it, but they're trying to maintain a live atmosphere. I'm like, oh my god. Also, what I'm just saying. What kind of parent takes their kid to a live taping of a Disney Plus show during a pandemic? I mean, you're desperate if you're doing that.
1: I'll tell you who's doing that. People who want their kids to be on a Disney show and think that if they they have the you know ac- uh, dream of getting discovered kind of a thing. Oh, that makes sense. I think, I'll think a lot of people really still think that you could be sitting at Schwab's, you know, <laughs> drinking a phosphate,
0: and <laughs> someone's gonna say,
1: "Oh, wow, this girl's got talent. You can tell by your sweater." <laughs>
0: That's amazing, yeah. And then he gets into his uh, Studebaker and drives down to uh, Mayberry. And uh, <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> hey, let me run this by you. Recently,
1: started looking around my house. And I said to myself, I'm not sure I like any of my, like, furnishings and decor. Well, not, not, not any. I like about 30%. Okay. Okay. I think it's because I have been decorating my apartments and houses like just the way my mom did her house. (laughs) And I have never stopped to be like, wait, is that what I like? Because what I think happens to me is that I look at pictures or whatever of like really sleek and modern houses and I, and I like them. And then when I see pictures of like traditional, I, I, I don't like, how could I be so divorced? (laughs) For myself that I'm 45 and I don't even know what my style is I think
0: no I no I think it is you do know what your style is I think that I hear what you're saying but I also think that this is very common so I really yeah so oh. I feel like I just found out what my really style. Look, I live in an apartment, so then you could even say I'm even behind the <laughs> curve. I mean, I'm just saying. I I just started knowing what things I loved. I would say at 42, 43, and I think it's. I think uh, women are so busy doing other things. I don't think we're given the luxury of uh, uh, most of us of saying okay this is, it feels like a luxury to say, okay, this is who I am and I'm going to show it in my surroundings. It's more like just get everything done and who, and who cares? I mean, I don't know. Also, do you think it has something to do with like, you have, because of, because we're in a pandemic, we're home so much, right? So we're. Yeah. I mean, that could
1: be it, but I I also, I I think it's really more just that what, what prompted this? Um, Oh, what prompted it is we have a terrible kitchen and we've we've known since we moved in here that our kitchen is terrible and we've talked about redoing it and i started looking at the magazines of like get, trying to get
0: ideas now, i like your well, kitchen what's, what's terrible about your kitchen oh it's well it's
1: i don't like the color of the wood and i don't like the tile and the backsplash and whatever. Got it. um part of my first design problem is that my taste is too expensive
0: oh right.
1: everything i really like seems to cost a million dollars wow and my second problem is yeah I just like I have just okay oh another way that it came out actually the more salient way decorating like decorating for holidays oh my mother my whole family is like really big into decorating for holidays and it and it's nice like when you go to somebody's house and it's all I mean it's it's like a warm cozy feeling but I from the minute we put decorations out I I, I'm just counting down the days till we can take them down (laughs) I do it because my kids really like it now it's like a tradition so they they, our tradition is the day after Thanksgiving is when we do the Christmas decorations. But even as I'm bringing everything out, it's like in a very faint voice in the very back of my head is, is like,
0: I hate this. <laughs> I hate everything about this. So that reminds me, yes. And that reminds me of my mom who Oh, my gosh. She would start to bring out, at least you're not like this. She would start to bring out the decorations and start slamming them around. And my father would go, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So we had a whole routine around. She was so angry. So at least you're not. Look. Oh, so she was probably doing the thing that her mother did and doing it resentfully. Oh, resentfully. But here, you don't sound resentful. You sound as though you're starting to question why am I doing this? I'm doing it for my kids, but maybe there's a way. I'm just thinking, like, maybe there's a way to get taste, like your taste in a decoration. So, because for me, I know i know with my nieces and nephew like it becomes just like there's so much crap everywhere like the But cr- yeah. it's you got to find something that you think is gorgeous
1: okay so you're on to something there not that it's gorgeous but the other day i listened to somebody some podcast and somebody was talking about getting prince ornaments oh and i was like oh I could have a Prince tree. Like I could have like a purple light. Not that it's gorgeous, but that I'd be like, so into that. I'd be like, Oh, this is from purple rain. This is from under the chair. You know what I mean? Like I would,
0: I, I think you should do it. And you can even start with a mini one. So, so I, I think, I think a lot of times uh, for me, I think that if I have, I have to go full out, you know, like it's black and white thinking for me. So I'm like, okay, the next thing you know, like my house is like a hundred percent anthropology meets Mexican street fair. And that, and it can be more subtle than that, but I I love your style. I do too, but it can get like in a small space. Sometimes, like, I once had a friend come over who was high, and he was like, Okay, I can't (sighs) be in your living room. And I was like, Why? He's like, It is, there is too much going on. He was too high. Too much bruja. Too much, too, too, yeah, too much, yeah, exactly. Too much street fair and too much, um, Uh, boho for him. He was like, "What in the what? So, but the point is you can go, you can get a small purple tree if you wanted to start, right? You don't have to get like a ginormous purple tree. You could, but get a small one and make it just for you and have it be fun. But the other thing is, let's be honest, right? The holidays are just a lot of work. Yeah. It's, yeah,
1: it's, oh my God, it's so much work. It's so much, it's so much cleaning. It's so much buying. It's so much procuring it's so much yeah it's like you you do you, you guys
0: do both you do Hanukkah and Christmas oh yeah oh yeah yeah so that's you've got thing. double duty and and it does uh, look I'm not saying always and that I'm not saying men are evil that's not what I'm saying I mean some are but most aren't and and but it does fall a lot on the women in 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 that like even for me yeah. there's two there's two of us right there's only two of us we have no children but if if I didn't decorate there would be no we have Halloween
1: yeah
0: we have Halloween we have like a skeleton on the door and look Miles wouldn't even know it was probably Christmas day unless I was like tomorrow is Christmas day but I think it's different when you have children they're constantly reminding you Christmas is coming Halloween's coming Thanksgiving's coming you know like
1: that's for sure I mean we're starting the countdown already oh that reminds me um recently discover that there's no santa claus did and i tell her she,
0: that? no i ruined that for my niece and nephew i think oh you did it was a whole thing but okay i'm glad i didn't so did not i did not tell her that no really. no 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 well for
1: two years now she's been saying is santa real and i've been saying yeah <laughs> of course <laughs> but here's the thing I, another thing I'm not good at is remembering to do all the, like, you have to, the tooth fairy. Oh. I never remember to put the money under the pillow. And then I do this thing of, like, are you sure? Why, why don't you go look again? And then I run into the room. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's amazing. And she'll be like, oh, it was right here all along. Oh or like one year i said I, she wanted to do her letter to santa and you could take your you could take it to macy's and put it in the box and i kept being like yeah we'll do it next weekend and then we got down to the end and i said oh,
0: oh no what did you say i said i'm just going to text santa <laughs> i'm just going to text santa your list oh did she believe you Yeah, she did. But I think I think my
1: failure to do it seamlessly is probably why the doubt started creeping in when it did. Then after she was asking me, is he real? Then I started saying, Do you want him to be real? What did she say? For a while she said yes. But this year when she asked I don't care. Do you want him to be real? She said Yes, but I'd rather just know the truth. So I said, "Well, it's 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 you're right. It's not real." And then I'm quick to say, like, "But that doesn't mean there's not magic." And even if yeah, so she's she's and and what's cool to see is like the layers of the processing. So she said, "So even the stockings are not that's not," (laughs) and she said, uh, "Elf on the Shelf."
0: her own show because she she reminds me of Joan Rivers or something like she's like
1: yes. kind of like reverent. Yes, she's very reverent. So then a few days later she goes um Easter Bunny <laughs> oh <laughs> to which God. you know this is a great relief to me because one of the things I hate most is waking up at the crack of dawn to go hide the eggs in an, our place, in our, where we live, where a million animals are just yes. dying to come yes. eat. whatever <laughs> yes. food we leave about? So that'll be a really, and then a few days after that, she said, what about the tooth fairy? And I said, no, there's, you know, there's, there's no the tooth, fairy. tooth fairy. Then a few days later, she, she said, you know, I, I actually think it's great that it's you and daddy. I think because and I'm and I'm thinking that it's some like special yeah. and She said, Because I can just tell you exactly what I want.
0: Oh, oh my god. But she's brilliant. I can just really we could you know what she really is saying is like we could just cut out all the crap here. Yeah why, Yes, why are we going through these hoops? Really it's She's like, just write me a check, five million dollars and then we call it and then we we're even till I'm forty five. Okay.
1: Oh uh, well now I have to know what you did to your niece and nephew. Well, I think
0: my problem is, well, to preface this to say, this is, this is, um, did I ever tell you the story about how I ruined someone's surprise wedding? <laughs> so I have a problem, I cannot keep a secret like that. Like when the secret stakes are high, I, I, if you're ever, if never. So my friend, this is crazy. So my friend, my friend's, a, a boyfriend called me and said, "Hi, I am surprising Sarah in a a wedding. She knows we're going on an adventure. We're going on a hot air balloon ride, and we're getting married in the hot air balloon. Oh, god! And oh can god. you come and be the witness? And I was first of all, I'm scared of any height. I I I said okay. I said fine. So he." This is so crazy. So I kept it. I was like, okay, here it comes. And I was like seeing her and, you know, we're not friends anymore. Shockingly. Uh, So I, I were okay. Beans. So I made it. She's supposed to dress up. She doesn't know what's happening, but the guy who does the hot air balloon is the minister so he also serves as the minister it's a whole thing people do okay fine but you need a witness and so I'm the witness I'm like this is this is terrible so we make it she's in a dress like a fancy dress I'm in a fancy whatever outfit we have to drive to the desert right so we're in the car and I I literally said we're going I remember it's it's hot it's windy she's excited nobody you know her, um, I sat in the back seat and her fiance or boyfriend sat in the front seat. Cause I don't know why she wanted to talk or something. I don't remember why we were both in the back seat. And I just go, I can't believe you're about to get married in a hot air. <laughs> and she looked like this and he, we don't know if he, I'm sure he, it was really windy. So I'm not sure if he heard, but she heard and she looked at me and I was like, well what the What do you do then? What do you do then? So I just what did you do? I just said, "Oh my god." And she goes shh, 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 shh. like not to have him know. I ruined. But here to be fair, it is a lot of pressure. It is a lot. So I, to be fair, I hate heights. I I'm a people pleaser, so I said yes. It's a wedding. And a hot air balloon ride at the same. It was.
1: Oh, I, I'm going to take you one further. It's not just to be fair. I'm going to say oh. it's hostile. It is hostile to do a surprise wedding for your uh, girlfriend <clears throat> because she wants to plan her wedding. Right. She does not want right. because you because you pick something stupid like going in a hot air balloon. And no no other family or whatever can be there. Crazy. And so I mean not to say that they couldn't have had like another party or whatever, but still. So what then what
0: happens? So then we all are pretending that I didn't ruin it. It's the worst. And then I have to go in a hot air balloon, which is have you been in one? It's scary. It is scary. You you it's it's quiet except for this every three seconds, crazy loud noise of the gas. The guy was weird because you have to be weird to be a reverend and a balloon uh, yes. astronaut or whatever the hell he's called. <laughs> he was a clown. He's a clown. <laughs> balloon clown. And then and then you're, you're way up and there's no breaks and there's no and then you're in a wedding. It it was the, and Sarah had to pretend that she was, she was a surprise. It was a disaster. And then when you land in a hot air balloon, it doesn't land nice. I mean, it tips over and it drags you. So we're all dressed up and we're sideways being dragged in a basket, basically a wicker basket for four people. It was basically, they owe me an apology. No, I'm just, (laughs) no, they do. The whole thing is crazy. I don't like one thing about that. So I cannot keep, so I don't like the pressure of someone's secret. I can do it for a little bit, but this went on because he planned it like six months in advance or four months. So I'm like having to keep up the stupid charade. And then, and then we were like literally weren't friends after that. Part
1: of me does kind of wonder if she knew a little bit because it sounds like she was pretty quick to. Say, let's don't tell him. She was just like, shh, 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 yeah. You know, because you do you remember the time that you had, you came to a surprise party for me? No, in Chicago, Aaron's parents uh oh, yeah, a surprise yeah. birthday party, which was so very kind of them. Yeah, but but we were living in New York at the time, and we were, so we were s- supposed to take a trip to Chicago, and Aaron left his. He we shared a, a desktop computer at the time, and he left an email open about the surprise party. So I knew about it like three weeks or two weeks before we have ever went. And oh, we met at a park. We met at a park, and and there was this whole like, oh, we're going to go to the park. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Well, his mother the day before something was talking. We were talking about the plans for the next day. And she said, this will all be clear to you after tomorrow. And I thought, well, it's a good thing I already did know because otherwise I would have found out just now. So, of course, I'm for weeks now pretending like this is all surprise and like trying to make it easier for them to convince me. This is crazy. Ten minutes before we're supposed to leave the hotel to go to the park. Was sitting in Aaron's lap, and he got excited about something, and he bucked back, and he hit his head into Aaron's chin, so that Aaron then bit his tongue. And so I'm going like, "Let's go to the hospital." And he's like, "No, no, it, blood, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine." And I wanted to say in that moment, like, "I I know that we're going to do the surprise party, but like, I think we really should get checked out." He kept saying it was fine. Then we're playing at the park and you guys were all hiding in a, yeah. I saw you the second we got out of the car. I saw everybody the second and I heard everybody go, like, shh. <laughs> oh my God. So and as it's getting revealed and they're saying, of course, were you surprised? Were you surprised? I was like, yes, I was. so And you go, I don't know. I don't think she was surprised. <laughs> And I looked at you, and I'm like, yeah, she, she sees right through me.
0: There was no
1: way I was ever going to be surprised.
0: Surprises are are a lot of burden on every it, – it, it it can For go – not that much gain, right? It can go horribly wrong. Like, like, there are stories of people, you know, surprised and have heart attacks and die. I mean, let's not do that. Like, where a guy comes home to visit his mom, he hasn't seen her – you know, she hasn't seen him in yeah. 20 he comes home from a foreign country and the lady like drops dead because she oh yeah no then you've got the guilt of killing your mother oh no no i can't be i can't be bothered the
1: surprise is for the person who's giving the surprise the surprise is the excitement they feel and I'm not saying it's not born out of love. Of course it is. It's like, uh, they're going to be so surprised and I'm going to be taking care of everything. And it's going to be this thing that like this great gift. And I, the intention is probably all, usually
0: good. Yes. It's a lot of pressure and yeah. a lot of um expectation. And like my mom, they, some, her friends wanted to, after her first chemo, uh, her friends wanted to have a surprise party for her. And I was like, you guys, my mother hates surprises. Like, no, it'll be great. Um, you can see on her face in the pictures. She's like, <laughs> and you can't see because it's a podcast, but she looks like she's going to kill you. Like, uh, I don't do this. And she was miserable. And she later, she told me, why did not you tell me? And I said, listen, mom, it was a surprise. She goes, you should have told me, but I'm the kind of person that is, is I can't like, I'll be like, look, I bought you a $300 gift certificate to this spa. It's great. Yeah. I I mean, the thing is, it
1: is always, everything is a surprise until it happens. I mean, it's like the moments leading up to you telling me you brought me a gift certificate, it's a surprise when you tell me because I didn't know and then I knew. Today, we have an awesome, awesome guest. I actually did not know her in theater school, but you did, right? I did. I did. Okay. Shayna Firm, and you know her from the Pump and Dump Show, which is a cute name, for a show that she started with her friend, about being a mom. And I guess it's really hilarious and irreverent and it got so popular Mm -hmm. that it is now basically like a franchise and they've got new casts going, touring around the country. Not right now because of COVID, but they have a podcast and a whole like media empire. called band of mothers. Band of
0: mothers. And um, she's lovely and hilarious and really, I would say irreverent and uh, stunningly messy.
1: That's how I yeah. figure it out. Amen.
0: All right, enjoy.
1: Anyway, hi Shana. Thank you for hi, uh, coming and being a part of our podcast.
2: Thank you for so inviting lovely. me. This is so fun. I'm I I have my own podcast, so I never I, I rarely get to do other people's podcasts where I'm not like promoting. This is like very exciting. <laughs> you
0: brought it up. Um, tell, can you tell us about your podcast? Because I, I'm fascinated. First of all, I'm just, you, um, you have like an empire of, and I mean that <laughs> in a good way, and not in a, like, a, a dark, dark empire of Star Wars type, but like a, like a good empire. So I wanted to know, since we're on a podcast, just tell us really quickly about your podcast so that.
2: Thank you. Um. Okay, so. I am the co-founder of Band of Mothers Media, which started as a live comedy show for moms called The Pump and Dump Show eight years ago in Denver, Colorado. And then we started touring the country in 2014. And then last year, we cast new moms to be on the road as us. So now they go do the show, of course, not during COVID. That's a whole other... Yeah. <laughs> um And then in the process of... Uh, Uh, replicating the show. My partner and I um, started a podcast in 2018 called Band of Mothers Podcast, which will be relaunching in December. Um, And we also have an app called Band of Mothers App. So our mission in life is just to support and spread humor and generosity to moms and that's what we do with the live show and the podcast and the um app but the podcast is actually less a parenting podcast and more a lifestyle podcast so we just talk about life uh women's lifestyle issues through the lens of being moms so we're just two women in our 40s (laughs) talking about (laughs) everything from how to put on makeup to bitcoin to diapers like all of it you know about bitcoin Uh, hardly I had we did an episode yeah. on it. <laughs> very rich from the bitcoin yeah. <laughs> no. um, um,
1: so but it all started I mean in terms of where well, our connection is it all started in Chicago so you went to yeah. the theater school and yeah. you survived
2: i mean, hardly barely
0: that's what we want to know about. We're picking people that we feel really, we just want to hear their story. Like, how did you end up at the theater school?
2: These are just things I haven't thought about in so so long. Um, I didn't get in. So I had applied. So I'm from Parker, Colorado. That's where I grew up. And I knew I wanted to be an actor, as we all did. So I auditioned for a bunch of different schools for conservatory programs. I knew I wanted to go to a conservatory. I didn't get in. I was on the wait list. I was on a cruise with my choir, my show choir, and my parents faxed me on the cruise to tell me I didn't get in.
0: Oh, I (laughs) thought you were going to say like you got off the waiting list. They faxed
2: you to say you did not get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I almost jumped off the boat. (laughs) It was horrible. So I was going to go to University of Evansville, Indiana. Is that what it's called? Yeah, there's Evansville. Yeah, they have a good theater program. So I got in a scholarship and I was going to Evansville. And then the very last day of high school, I got a letter that said that I did get in to DePaul. And oh. so then I told my parents I wanted to go to DePaul. And they were like, we bought you a car and now we're not going to give it to you. You still applied to a bunch of places, though. How many places? Four. Or five, I auditioned, I went, I flew out to Pittsburgh by myself at 17 and auditioned for Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, let two stranger, two strange men drive me to my hotel, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was like the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, totally made out with a guy at the audition. <laughs> Sorry, now I just don't remember any of this until I'm done. Oh, that's great. This is great. <laughs> um. And then, yeah, no, I, I flew out to all those places and auditioned just like I flew out to Chicago and then, uh, yeah, got in. But I, I still to this day credit, not that I have like the most successful life or anything, but everything in my life is because of the theater school at DePaul. And even my daughter's middle name is after Michael Maggio. And I just, I credit going there and that experience for every good thing that's ever happened to me, including meeting my husband. Full, full props to that experience for me. So from school, I got in a play at the Goodman because Michael Maggio was directing it. He was one of my teachers.
0: The play was called, right, Boy Gets Girl, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was an intense play. I remember. Um, Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. You were great. I saw it. I saw that play.
2: No, yeah. I had graduated, but it was the... So I graduated and then did um, five episodes of early edition. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like we all did. Um, and... Oh, we did not all do five. Uh-oh. Five is a lot. You, I was amazing. Kathy. I was AS. <laughs> it was like a very... I had very bad hair. And um, I was uh, like a journalist at the paper. Um, and right after that, or like right at, towards the end of that, I booked the uh, show at the Goodman because of my...
1: I saw... Our town. Oh, it was so beautiful. I mean, it oh my was gosh, amazing! God. I wasn't living in Chicago at that time. I was. Oh, I was doing a traveling kids show, and oh I my gosh. Chicago, and I got to see that show. And uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a great play, like just hands oh, down. And and Rick, Rick had such a great visual idea. And the, that's the one that had the huge moon in it, right? Yeah. Oh my God. So beautiful. I loved it.
2: Uh, it's so funny that you say that because we're, um, I'm working with Bob Mueller, who is also a graduate from the theater school on the podcast because he works at Warner Brothers and we've partnered with them. And he, um, another theater school connection that's like changing my life, right? And he just we were literally just talking about our town the other day and he went to the website and sent me pictures and he was like, I saw that. And I was like, what? It was so weird. Cause he's still really close with Rick Murphy out in LA. And it was, so, it's so strange that you bring it up because I was literally just talking about that play like three days ago. Um,
0: I have a question about, so when you said, uh, going back to, you know, mad props to the theater school and the theater, um, can I ask, what about, can you talk more about that? What about the theater school, like really um, shaped you, molded you?
2: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, can I ask you guys that question? Like, what would you, what is the first thing you think sure. of when you think of that? Like, what if your guests said so far? Like, what? what is your.
1: Well, I, the person that we talked to last week said the same thing that I think we both feel, which is awareness of your body, Mm. awareness that you, that you, that your body is connected to your brain Mm -hmm. and that your voice is a part of it. And that these are all things that you have to attend to. And, and because so much of the experience, I mean, first of all, it's crazy this whole idea that you're really learning how to be an actor when you're 17, 18, 19 years old. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was so far from knowing the first thing about myself um, but it, it's okay because it, it holds. And then you can think about it later when, when you're able to sort of like understand that about yourself and process it. But in the moment I was, I mean, I did all the classes, I graduated from there, but in the moment, like I, I, I it was, it was just after
0: that it all synthesized. You know? And I would say that when we talk about like the relationships with people, like learning how relationships work, even if they don't work well, like learning how, like, how humans interact with each other, how, how we, um, how we take care of each other or don't, how we, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I, I, I learned so much about human beings. That's what I learned about. And, and regardless of the acting part. Cause I don't, I have often said, you know, I'm not, I don't remember like, Oh, this is Stanislavski. And this is this, but I remember, Oh, this is how somebody is when they don't feel good or this is how they are when they're angry. All this just to say that I learned about people. Yes. That's what I want to say. So what did you learn that you want would, would be willing to share with us about?
2: Well, I think, I think your point, Gina is so, uh, Is so interesting about how young we were because I still think of it almost as a regret. Like, I wish that I had had any life experience before learning the things that we were learning because I just don't feel like like I was able to ever fully integrate it until afterwards. And my career really shifted at some point, you know, where I never really fully got to explore what they were trying to teach us.
1: But so uh, we love talking about auditions, and since you did a bunch of them, how did the different
2: auditions compare? To you each mean, other? like into into theater school? Oh God, mm-hmm. I hardly remember that. You guys, do you remember that?
1: Um, I was really freaked out by the audition because um, we were doing things I had never done before, and I, and I felt like a complete asshole. I just I I I I. I, I I didn't know one single thing. My whole uh, theater school, uh, my whole drama thing in high school was like <laughs> literally just l- memorizing the yeah. lines for your play, <laughs> finding your costume and mm-hmm. doing it. There was nothing else to talk about besides mm. that. There was no conversation about acting whatsoever. Yeah,
2: I, rem- I think I remember them asking me to do my monologue again, which I cannot tell you what it was. It's probably something totally inappropriate for my age. Right. right. <laughs> but, we
0: talked about that, how, how <laughs> I, we were all doing these, like, you know, things for, you know, 40-year-olds. But Yeah.
2: Um, I think they asked me to do my monologue while setting a table. And so to kind of to get out of my head. And I, I thought that was really interesting. It obviously didn't go well. I didn't get it. <laughs> but... Do you remember, like, Carnegie mm. Mellon? Well, you said Carnegie Mellon, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, I did musical theater there, so uh, which was very different. So I, I'm a singer, so I, I didn't know what I wanted to do if I wanted to go to straight th- I knew I wanted to be, like, a serious actor, um, which is funny now because I'm a comedian, which is, like, ridiculous. But um, I uh, definitely auditioned for the music theater department at Carnegie Mellon. And I'll never forget there was a ballet audition. Okay? So, like... Have these kids, like, weren't – you know, we weren't dancers. Right. But you had to do this dance audition. And I just remember sitting there in, like, the lobby. Um, everyone was stretching, you know, like, getting real serious and just stretching. And there, some people were wearing, like – like, I was probably wearing sweatpants. But, like, this girl was wearing tights and a leotard. Yeah. And all of her pubes were <gasps> out inside of her tights. <laughs> That, that was me. That would have been me. Would it, <laughs> She was like stretching, like leg up in the air. Like, and just, and I just, you know, I was like 17, like, <gasps> like, oh my God, I probably didn't even have pubic hair. And I, I was just like mortified and I'll never forget it. But yeah, but I never had enough. Honestly, I didn't have confidence in myself as a musician or a singer until I started doing music comedy in New York. And then when I had, when I when I started a band for my music comedy and we started like rehearsing like in, uh you know, when I had like a bigger sound, I just found my voice one day. Does that make sense? Like sure. again, yeah. I was too young. Like I was too young to understand who I was as a singer and have any confidence. Um, my
0: question also is, did we do musicals at the theater school? And why can't I remember that? Oh, yes. We did?
1: Roar of the Grease paint Smell of the Crowd, Into the Woods. Into the Woods.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I was on crew yeah. for Into the Woods. You are correct. Yep. Did, were you ever in
2: any of those, I was. I was a hip-hop dancing Indian in Peter Pan, oh, um, no. <laughs> which I'm sure is like, you're not even allowed to say or do that anymore. Oh, uh my name was Spree, because we were named after Candy. Um, I Oh wait, this is coming to back to who directed it? Susan Lee. Oh right. And then when <laughs> um when uh Michael Maggio directed Grapes of Wrath, my senior year or fourth year, he cast me as like the singer. And we had this kind of um there was kind of this through line of music. And that was like one of my first experiences there singing. And I had to sing all these kind of like folky, like, but I don't think there was a big, did they do musicals like every other year or something? Like, I don't feel like it was.
1: No, every year. No, there was a musical every year. I remember
0: Um, auditioning for one and it was a disaster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we had to audition. You had to say, oh, Mark Elliott. Oh, oh my! God. I am just the, I am the worst singer and I had a bad attitude about it too. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't even like, I'm not a good singer, but let me have fun with it. I was like, I, I, I I'm embarrassed. This is mortifying. I suck. I don't want to do this. And so I really, I really shit in my own Cheerios and that one, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, we have to get back to something that happened when I lost my microphone. This pubic hair. Yeah. <laughs> i think this was a power move
2: oh of that chick oh yeah sure she was she loved herself she was like i've got this and she was like stretching like oh yeah
1: right yeah no absolutely so okay so you did the grapes second time grapes of wrath is coming up on this podcast really, Uh, but so i didn't get to see that production that's too bad i love that play and i never got to work with michael maggio i i understand he was beloved and everybody
0: thought he was the best right
2: Oh gosh. Well, he was, I don't know if you guys, well, so you never had him, but had Jen, him did you one, have
0: him as a teacher? semester and he, he directed me in Vanya or something and it, he was a brilliant. So oh, it sounds yeah. like you two had a special relate. Like what, what was, what was that about? Like your jam with him?
2: Oh, you know, he was, he was just so instrumental in like my transition, right? Like, in school I was never particularly like the star. I mean I Rick Murphy cast me in as Emily in our town but you know that's because I was like quirky and not a lead actress in any sense of the word. So, you know, I just knew Michael from class and like I always kind of stayed in the in the background but like I will never forget I still I still use it to this day like he always talked about um, how every scene is like Passover. Why is this night different than every other night? And, um, and it's such an interesting way to, to look at writing, to look at um, scene work. And it's just one of the things that always stuck with me, but we didn't really become like close until boy gets girl, which I was just so shocked that he even cast me in that. Um, And then I would give him a ride back to his house because he lived up on, like, what was yeah. it, like Montrose or some? I don't remember. It's been so long since I lived in Chicago. But I would drive down, and I would give him a ride back. So we'd always have these really great conversations. Um, he was obsessed with the Moby album because it had just come out. Do yeah. you remember that? <laughs> and um, I remember, like, being really, really worked up when um, all of a sudden I was getting attention from, like, agents and stuff. And, of course, when you're that age, you're just like, well, this person wants me. This person's going to be mad at me. And, like, what I I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm talking to him about it. And he's just sitting there in his beret. And he turned to me and he goes, Shayna, don't do anything. There's a good chance this show is going to New York. Don't do anything. And he got out of the car. And I just remember, like, feeling like my whole life was going to change. Right? Like, I was, like, 21. Um, and I was like had no idea that was even in the works or like that was even possible. And everyone in the show was I think 40 or above. And I was this new, you know, just just graduated. And that like that conversation shifted like I I was from Parker, Colorado. I'd never thought I'd move in New York City. Um, I thought I wanted to live in Chicago forever. And then it just kind of switched. And and from that moment on, I just kind of was like, this guy's going to take care of me. And then, um, so that was in, that play was in like March and April. And then he passed away that summer. And then we had to go do the the show without him. So that was just a really short-lived, close relationship, you know? And it's so
1: I think the, the way that everybody uh, survives theater school is having a champion. And sometimes your champion is your teacher and sometimes it's your friend and sometimes it's your mom. But, you know, there's if if, if you have somebody there on faculty who really believes in you, even if other people don't necessarily see your greatness, that that is really, really key. So.
2: I just was kind of like, all I want to be doing is performing. And so I started a sketch comedy group with some friends in 2002. And so that's when I started producing. And um, that was just because I could write and perform whenever I wanted. And then that parlayed into doing solo stand-up stuff because I got into that comedy world. But all the time I was still doing TV and auditioning for... And I did a bunch of play more plays in New York. Um, and but just got really into my music because that was my stand-up was with music comedy. And that all came out of doing sketch. So that world just kind of enveloped me. Um, but all the while, again, like still doing theater. And then uh, at some point, 10 years down the line there, so after just doing, you know, performing out three times a week and, you know, auditioning for millions and millions and millions of things, I had a baby. Um, and then I was like, gotta go. So (laughs) I was like, I gotta get out of New York when she was about six months old, we decided to leave. So that's when we came back to Denver. And of course, the second I got back to Denver, I was already pregnant with my second kid. Oops. And there was a bar down the street that I was at. Of course, I wasn't drinking. I was pregnant, but, um, that had a stage and I knew the owner and of course my producer, comedian brain was like I got to do a show here had had Bo and then um was like I think he was like four weeks old when we did the very first Spongebob show there I I just
0: want to call back something. Um, when you were, when you were doing sketch comedy, um, what, what was the moment? Because I'm, I'm fascinated by moments when people, maybe there wasn't just one realized like, Oh, here's my thing. Mm -hmm. So your thing seemed to be the musical comedy sketch, you know, your songs are amazing. Your comedic songs are hilarious, but they're, and they're very specific. So how did you hone that? How did you find that? Oh, gosh. Like, was it just messing around in sketches, singing, and then – So,
2: so again, things I haven't thought about in so long. So we started doing sketch, again, just to perform. And then one day I wrote a song – because I used to write – so in college I wrote music on my guitar and then – but very serious, like, you know, like about boyfriends and, and heartbreak and uh, – you know, Van Gogh paintings, like ridiculous, (laughs) ridiculous. Um, and so I always liked to write music, but I I wasn't going to be my career or anything. And then, um, I wrote a song called, but hold me that just sounded like I was saying butthole over and over. And so, um, I brought it to my group, you know, there were six of us and I was like, I want to do this song. So we ended up turning it into this song where at the very end, um, (laughs) (laughs) everyone would put chocolate icing on their fingers and line them up around my face like a big butthole and then I would push my face through and it smeared the chocolate frosting all over my face and so I would come out at the very end and um I hate to say it but I think that was like one of my favorite moments that like changed like we laughed so hard the first time we performed that and actually did it. Like, like everyone was just, like, crying. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm disgusting, and this is perfect for me. And so – From there, I just started writing more songs for the shows. We would just do – I would just get up. But then I was in a play, a different – like, at the same time I was in this play, where the play had a musician who I became friends with. And he was really good friends with some of the people who were really big in the alternative comedy scene in New York. And he was like, you should go do one of your songs on Invite Them Up, which was this very – hard to get onto like hot show hosted by um, Eugene Merman. Mm -hmm. And um, they got me on, he just got me on that show, like made a phone call. And then I was my first time performing solo, like anywhere. And I'm up there and I'm doing, but hold me. And the power went out in the middle of my set. And I'm like on stage in the dark, In front of all of, like, the coolest, like, Dimitri Martin and Kristen Schaal and, like, all, like, the coolest comics in New York at the time, you know. And I was just, like – and thank God. It it actually – I was glad it happened because I probably was terrible. I had no experience. And, like, everyone felt sorry for me. And then it was just, like, we all were laughing. And it was, like, it went really well. And then from that's then, amazing. I just got to keep doing shows. So I just, um, yeah that's how it started. Uh, that's
1: the thing. I mean, that that's the thing that comes up over and over again. At the end of the day, you have to make your own stuff, mm-hmm. write your own stuff, m- create the job opportunity for yourself. Yes. And, and unfortunately, I another thing that comes up a lot is that, you know, especially women from our generation, we're just not really... Taught to do that at all. It was Mm. taught taught to wait for somebody to invite you to do the thing that you like to do. I, I mean, including like auditioning for theater school. So,
2: well, and it's so easy. It's so easy to make excuses and to say I'm not good at that. But like, I would have said I wasn't a good writer, or that I would never want to direct, or like, ooh, being a producer. Like, I just never would have even thought of it until. I forced myself to do it because the end goal made me happy, like just happy as a person, you know? Mm -hmm. And also in New York, when you're not um, gorgeous or LA or wherever, whoever you are, uh, as an actor, um, I feel like you have to make ways for yourself to be seen. And so for me, I knew I was funny and I knew um, what I liked to do. And I knew that if I performed out, I would have more opportunities. And so I just created that for myself because I knew it wasn't going to come easy. Right. And um, that was kind of my mindset at the time. It's weird looking back at, I mean, I'm 43 today. So it's a very different mindset, but um, you know, and then the business side is like, God, if I, you know, they, they did try to teach us that in theater school. I will give them that credit. I mean, they taught us how hard it was and they taught us to be competitive. Nobody was easy on us there. And, um, you know, I got some good advice from some of the cast members from Boy Gets Girl when I was young, that was like, do one thing for your career every day, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that, that I still think about. Um, but I just, it's, again, I just wish that I'd gone to school and I had any. I
0: mean, that's the part. It's like, um, I want to go back to the butthole song for a second. Mm -hmm. Because that butthole, was that, did you write it as a comedic song? Or was it, (laughs) was butthole? Okay, because I didn't know if it was butthole me. And then someone was like, that's actually hilarious. But you wrote it as a comedic song. Oh, yes,
2: yes, I wrote it as a comedic
0: song. I I mean, there's just something brilliant about that. It's just, (laughs) it's my first (laughs) one. That Your first song that you really is a, but, a song about a butthole. Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, as funny as that is, that's also speaks to you. What something you said at the beginning, which is I'm messy. I'm, I'm, you know, like you said so, something to the fact, I, I think I'm probably, you know, Making this up a little bit, and maybe it's just my <laughs> interpretation. But that you're a reverent mm. and really and and really willing to get messy. I guess that's what um, comes through about you—messy emotionally, messy with actual frost on your face, <laughs> messy in your songs about motherhood. And yeah. it's it, it. So that's a really interesting thing because I'm not a mom, but I I'm watching you and hearing stories of friends with like motherhood is gross, like some <laughs> parts of it are really gross. And you make it funny, and that is a brilliant. Like "Eat Your Fucking Food," that mm-hmm. song I just saw—it's a great song. Thank you. And, and clearly, you knew from a long time ago at the theater school there was something about you that was like, "No, I'm a little off," yes, or I'm a little, true. "I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little, you know." And that—that's gonna—we ca- if we can capitalize on our offness in any way we can, I think it becomes our superpower. I really do. So anyway, I just wanted to say that because that's important. I think it's important to know when when the pivot happens and when we start saying, oh, my messiness or my my irreverence and my maybe offness can become my superpower. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I think there's a lot of, um, again, I, I, I feel like I turned in that direction not out of disappointment, but just out of understanding that I wasn't ever going to be this thing. Like I wasn't going to like growing up, like I loved Meg Ryan movies, right? Like I wanted to be her. I watched all of her movies. She's adorable. She was always a little bit quirky. She's still fucking Meg Ryan. I mean, she's gorgeous. And like, you know, she was the lead of Hollywood, you know, like you, you go to theater school with this idea that you are going to be the next, I don't know who it is now. Cause I'm too old, but like,
0: who, who's who's the place? Jennifer Lawrence yeah like Jennifer Lawrence sure
2: we would all love to fucking be Jennifer Lawrence right but like once you have any sense like of reality which I do appreciate that the theater school gives you um and also you know I know so many people just to, to segue here when we were doing our showcases and stuff who right away were like this isn't for me I don't want to do this. I wanted to learn all this. I wanted to grow my talent. I wanted to learn how to be a good actor. But I don't want to stand here and have people judge me. Not not okay with me. I don't like the business. Not into it. I'm going to pivot right away. And that's okay too. You know, it's like people who go to school for an art history major and end up, uh, you know, opening a furniture store. I mean, you, you just don't – you have to follow – your heart and what feels good to you. I, I never minded the rejection. I used to, um, I always tell this story. So I apologize if you've heard it somewhere, but, um, I used to write down every single audition that I went on, which I I know a lot of people do, but I had this book and, um, I stopped at, uh, I think it was 578. And that was only like four years after I graduated. You know, and I was in New York for eleven years, so oh my God. I, you know, and I. Some of those were booked, but most of those were not. And that just never. Sure, I cried about stuff, you know, but like most of the time, it just didn't bother me. That was my constitution, like that.
0: Yeah, I guess my question is, where does that come from? Where does that come from? Because for me, every time I was rejected. I felt like I was going to die, but some people have that yeah. resilience is another thing. I'm really interested. In. So where did that constitution come you from? You have to be, you think?
2: have a really fucked up childhood of abuse. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> Well, there you go.
2: <laughs> and that's also how you become a comedian, by the way. Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I had really critical parents. I, I've always been really critical myself. I, you know, like, I think I just somehow it was just okay with me to keep trying. I mean, honestly, there's no explanation. It's ridiculous. My poor husband, like he met me when I was 22 and like has had to go through (laughs) all of this, including All all, all of that. Including having like the best, most successful year of my life last year, only to watch it all crumble in much. Oh, so, like, oh, you know, yeah, like it's yeah. just you. He, he has watched us grow and grow and grow, and then been destroyed. We are. I am the phoenix, ladies. we yeah, <laughs> must absolutely. rise. We
1: must rise. So, you, did, have you guys had to change everything about what you're doing?
2: So we had 52 shows scheduled that was supposed to be between March and July, and every single one of them was canceled. Uh, We have rescheduled to 2021, so we're just going to get back with the live show in 2021. Um, And, you know, I'm in a much better place about it now, obviously. I'm I'm smiling at you. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was a big... Because we took a very, very... So this is... Not to get on a soapbox. But if you have a company and you take risks and you invest in yourself, you lose a lot of money. You only have projections, right? So we took a big, big risk to replicate the show, to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on the new casts and their auditions and their rehearsals and all of the upfront for an entire tour, which means all of the marketing. All of the um travel, oh. everything, and then we just lost it all in like a day. Um,
1: and there's no insurance we, oh. for that. There's no, yeah,
2: no. I mean, we get to we have credit on the airline, but all of the marketing. I mean, we up, yeah. I mean, I, I can't even. It's like the specifics right. are so depressing. But um, so, but here's the thing: you, you're a small business that does that. You don't get assistance. We don't. We didn't get a PPP loan. We didn't get um, why not? anything because our uh, employees were not on payroll because we weren't big enough yet to be able to pay all of those taxes. So we were con- everyone was a contract employer, and so and Tracy and I because we grew the business the last two years, we didn't pay ourselves for two years because we were like, all right, here we go. So we were supposed to just like in March alone, we were supposed to bring in. I mean, the year before his entire gross income, and um, this is all <laughs> this is completely. Oh my! I know that's not why you had me on this podcast. No, I'm
0: sorry. no but it's, no, but look here's the here's the reality of it: is that when it it it, it, it it's very relevant because when one of the things we did learn to bring it back to the school. Placed. One of the things we did learn, we didn't know we did learn. I did anyway, is to keep going. Mm-hmm. Like, like it was a really hard time for me, but I kept going. We, we finished it out. I mean, those of us who weren't cut, you know, we, mm-hmm. we finished it out and, and, I remember in those classes like Betsy's class when we were doing the buoyancy the mm-hmm. I was like going I thought I was going to die or movement movement to music when I felt so like tired and you just keep going mm-hmm. so there is something about it there's that spirit of you know what this is really weird I'm really young I don't know what's happening but like Gina showed up at the audition right mm-hmm. she was the first one she didn't know what she was doing you you went to you did a ballet audition <laughs> and it Flew across the country and did a ballet. I mean, you didn't turn around and you weren't like, bye. I saw this lady's pubes. I'm out of here. You know, like, so, so I think that, I think that it's like, so, um, it's not a coincidence that these things stack up and that you are a Phoenix. And I think that a lot of us that I'm seeing anyway, that went to the theater school have this Phoenix situation going on. Absolutely.
2: Well, it's something I'm, I've had to learn a lot lately. And this goes to 20 years in the business, but also to being young in the theater school and also to being 43. Um, you cannot let past disappointments influence your present. And that is something that I let guide me far too often. Like, I think the world has it out for me because it didn't work out this other time or or... I mean, I I could write a book about the amount of close, exciting things that I've had. You know, like there was a time, you guys, when um, uh, what's her name from Modern Family, uh, Sophia, Vergara. Sure. Oh yeah. So she had signed on to do a pump and dump TV show, pro- at, like the as the executive producer. <laughs>
1: right. You mean right,
2: right before she
1: this? was. What you're saying, like right before the pandemic, or.
2: No, no, like this was like three years ago. She was attached, yeah. Like she got attached, yeah. And like it's so funny looking back now because no, it never happened. But you know, like we were like, "What? This is like going to be so great for the brand." And like you know, there's a million of those stories. Like, and and if if I let every single one of those crush me just because of stupid Hollywood, you know, like it just doesn't. That's why I live in Denver. And that's the other thing that I want to say to people you can make a career anywhere it may not be the one you imagined when you set out but if you want to be an artist you can do that anywhere like i have been more successful in denver colorado and i just fly to la when i have to go there and i fly to new york we just did we did a show for a big producer in january in new york you know, we, you do what you have to do, but, like, you can also have a life. And that balance is really, really important. Mm-hmm. I work hard, like, way too hard. Like, my, my son just said to me as I was walking out here, because he's on remote school, by the way, which is real fun. He's like, Mom, why do you have to work on your birthday? And I was like, I'm not. I get to be a guest on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, they're so used to me working. But but you can do that anywhere. It's so important to know that. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you can have Oh, a house that you want there, you know there's
1: absolutely so many just imaginary boundaries that yes. we, barriers that we impose I mean I'm I'm really really guilty of that so would it be fair to say that as you're talking to two people who are basically starting what you guys started um, whatever seven years ago um, to keep going stop you know don't get weighed waylaid by the disappointments and just keep going
2: oh. It's very safe to say. I mean, first of all, you have to do what makes you happy. You also have to do what lights you up. If there is a time when you are doing your podcast where you're like, this doesn't light me up anymore, then that's when you figure something else out. But you have to really ask yourself that question. And it can't just because you're tired or because like, it's getting a little bit hard because that happens. Of course, you know, like we we only started our podcast because our agent was like yelling at us for years to do it. (laughs) And we didn't even know how much we'd love it. And we didn't even really know what it was going to be about. And we didn't think we were going to be any good at it. And then we just kept at it and kind of got our, um, you know, legs. legs, Yeah. And then, um, suddenly because of the fucking theater school, we ended up (laughs) getting this great opportunity. um, you know funny there right like so strange the theater school's a magical magical place
0: <laughs> well i i think it, it it connects it connects people and there's the webs the web is large mm. and wide and i think even though everyone has different op, uh, experiences at the theater school the commonality is that we all went there yeah. and we were all part of something we're from the and same so think-
2: cloth. like that's what bob said to me when we started working together he's like listen I am you. We are from the same class. And I'm like, it's so true. It's so true. Mm -hmm. I didn't know him. So by the way,
1: you should write a book about disappointment. And it should be (laughs) called Do What Lights You Up. I love that as a as a sentiment. And like the world needs. I mean, you know, we were talking, Boz and I were talking about this earlier. There's always this thing of like, when you say something like, Oh, just follow your bliss or whatever. Okay. You have to say that from a place of privilege. And so we, so acknowledging that and understanding mm-hmm. that there's lots of parameters for, for people with that um, you you do have to try to find ways to do what lights you up because life is mostly drudgery. Mm-hmm. Chelsea Peretti uh, came out with, uh, she made like a EP. She made like a, a EP of music I guess that's what that is, and she made a merchandise to go with it, a T-shirt with one of those, you know, like one of those '80s T-shirts with a palm tree and the sand. Oh yeah. And, it, <laughs> yeah, and it says "Life is a chore." Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, and also it's like life is not one sustained note of ecstasy. Like mm-hmm. it's like like that, but I, I guess. I'm just really, I I, I am really inspired by your and Tracy's journey, you know, your journey. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I just think the pivoting is so important. Like you, a person that, that was told in a day that you lost all
2: this income
0: could have been like I'm packing it up that's it but you just keep going
2: well a smart person may have packed it up (laughs) well
0: or a person a person a person uh, no I mean a phoenix would have not a phoenix you know so um, the other thing that I was going to ask is this is a question that Gina came up with that I really like is like if someone is in theater school right now and they're and they're what would you say to them Mm -hmm. like if they're listening and they're like I don't know what I'm doing here, what the heck? What would you say to someone in theater school right now?
2: So interesting. I was thinking about that recently because I was thinking about like what I would tell my younger self. Um, I've been doing a lot of woo-woo stuff lately. I think that's what your forties are for. Like you just kind of like you're like, oh, now I need to. Oh, I just feel like I'm like a real human. Like I've got all the pieces now. I have to put them together. Um, I would say that. Um, Oh, gosh it's so hard because because you're just you're you're young and you're in the middle of something so like traumatic <laughs> um I would say to tell yourself that you don't have to be a mess like it's okay not to always have something going on do you know what I mean like it's, it's the weirdest
1: that
2: tickles me that, that's so funny Well, I just remember, like, when I think of that time, I just think about, like, everything was just, like, it was part of my identity to be a mess. And I don't think that serves you in any way. Wouldn't it just be better not to be a mess? Wouldn't it be better to just, like, receive information, good things and bad, process like a human, stop and think about things instead of like living in chaos. I think if I had those tools earlier, I just think it would have been a much more I just would have taken more mm-hmm. from the experience, you know? Cuz now I regret I I want to go back. This is what I keep saying. Like I would I would love to go back to a Rick Murphy class. Like I would be so yeah. good. I have life. I've birthed two children. I have, you know, I have been through yeah. All the things. Uh, well, you probably, you know? by the way, could
1: do that. You probably you called a Rick Murphy. <laughs> you
2: could probably. <made> class. <laughs> That's that is, true. Yeah, it would be virtual, That's- which would suck.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. If you're like, that, here's the
2: space subject. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. I do have
1: space between my hands. I do. Exactly. Can see it on this monitor. That is a good, know, perfect note it. to end on. Thank you so much, Shana. This was <laughs> so fun and and
0: enlightening. You are amazing. And I, I, the fiend I'm going to take with me, and I'm also just going to say, I'm just going to say that without some of the messiness, we might not have the butthole me, but we might have, I'm just saying it's all, (laughs) it's all grist for the mill, but I definitely think that that's some great advice. It's like, you can just be okay sometimes. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. Don't you remember just being so, like everything was just like such a fucking big deal. I mean, and, yeah. it is. It feels that way. At the time I have sympathy, it's not serving it you. It just doesn't serve you. That's right. That's right.
1: Putting putting a button on that that great advice, which it's really good advice. Um, don't you don't have to be a mess. Is um, if you can do a power move, like wearing your
0: leotard, and wearing <laughs> your food out. do it. Let your oh, let, let your you pubes shine. shine.
2: That's right. <laughs> we call that winter bush out here. Winter bush. Like, As soon as the pools close, you just,
1: <laughs> just let it go. I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable WRIT1. That's Undeniable Right without the E1. Thanks!